Take that! Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark, and I'm also joined again with my co-host, Ben Reschlag. Hey, Theo, how you doing? Good. I, I forgot to mention uh, at the beginning of the first episode, and now we've had two more since then, a um, bit more about our backgrounds as well for, for new listeners. So uh, my background is in science and mathematics education, and I currently work as a curriculum and assessment writer in, in the Queensland government. Um, I've had a long-standing uh, interest in fallacies and critical thinking, and you'll hear about that a bit more in some of the classic episodes of Humbug. Um, but Ben, do you want to give a bit more about your background and what you're currently up to? Okay, sure, yep. Um, my background is in environmental science. I worked as a as an analyst in the private sector for a while, and I also worked in the state government. Yep. And, and uh, at the moment, I'm currently studying philosophy at university. Yeah, there you go. So he's, he's a... He's a bit of a philosopher, Al Ben. Um, he's not very good, obviously, as you'll find out. But you know, we all got to we got to start somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, look. So this podcast, uh, we're going to look at the fallacy of a factoid propagation. So if you were listening to the uh, episode one, where I played a clip uh, at the at the end of that episode, then obviously you've now found out the answer. The answer we're looking for was a factoid propagation. Um, obviously, there'll be some other errors in, in reasoning in this clip as well, but the one we're using it for and basing this episode on is a factoid propagation. So um, because factoid propagation was covered in one of the original episodes, I'm not going to do a full reading from the book, just outline a quick description. The factoid propagation is when the advocate advances or states a mere proposition as though it is either A, objectively established fact, or B, so taken for granted by reasonable people that it is beyond question. A key characteristic of a factoid is that it is so commonly assumed to be true that it becomes the truth, when it is not actually established as true. The OED defines a factoid as unreliable information which is repeated so often that it becomes accepted as fact. So that was just the brief description from Humbug, the Skeptic's Field Guide to Spotting Fallacies and Deceptive Arguments. Note, also on sale for three ninety nine from Amazon Kindle Store, Google Playbooks, or Lulu.com. See the website skepticsfieldguide.net for purchasing. Seriously, go buy a copy. It's less than a cup of coffee. It's really quite cheap, and it's bloody good, even if I do say so myself. What do you think, Ben? I think everyone should buy two yeah. copies. Yeah, all the three people listening at you bastards better buy a copy. Um, okay, so look, what I want to do is to look at some of those, some clips around some of these factoids and then get into it a little bit more. The other thing I wanted to talk about specifically was just kind of an approach you can use to um, examining some of these factoids uh, the and just examining a, a claim in general. Um, this is going to be based on a bit of a talk that I, um, depending on when you're listening to this or when it comes out, I either have done or will be doing at Brisbane, uh, Briz Skeptic Camp, the sceptical conference happening in Brisbane uh, in July. Um, so this will probably come out after that because I don't want to um, spoil uh, the surprise for the people at the talk. But anyway, look, let's have a listen to this first audio clip, um, the one that I played in, la- in the f- initial podcast. Research into the brain indicates that there's a typical statistic that is used that says that only 10% of our brain is actually used in normal daily life. 
what do you think the other 90% of the brain is doing or is capable of? Do you think that there are other abilities that people might have that we have not developed? What's your opinion about telekinesis? Uh, face palm. <laughs> uh, I just love that one because it kind of leads up, you know, just on the 10% brain myth. Oh, look, you know, he doesn't you know it's a myth. So, okay, fair enough. And then, oh, telekinesis. Yep. So, so much wrong with that statement. It's not funny. There's a, there's a bit of begging the question in there as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, so in terms of um, when you're examining a claim like this, there's there's a couple of different approaches you can take. And one of them is pretty straightforward. It's called Google. You've heard of Google, right, Ben? Yeah. Yeah. I even use it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just type in 10% brain into Google, and the first thing you come up with is the 10% brain myth. Like, literally, that's the first search item you'll come up with. So, some claims, like, at this level, you know, so if you get sent around the Facebook meme or the internet meme, just Google the bloody thing, and you'll find out immediately there's, that uh, it's what's, what's the name of that website that specializes in There's a couple of them. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a couple of Snopes. Yeah. Um, um, Hoaxbusters. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, is it? Hoax Slayer. Hoax Slayer. Hoax Slayer yeah, is another yeah. one. Yeah, there's a few But if you just Google that and then myth or hoax or whatever, you'll find immediately those um, things. And sometimes they tend to be true. So I remember um, uh, one I got ages ago, which was the Whose House Is This? And it had two different houses, and one of them was like a really environmental friendly house, and one of them was not so environmental friendly. And then they go, one is, belongs to Al Gore, and one belongs to George W. Bush. And they say, oh, the environmental friendly one is Bush's, and the other one is Al Gore's. And you're like, and I'm like, Bullshit! No way. And apparently, it's true. Yeah. Like it's been researched. And Bush loves his solar panels. Yeah, and he's got a great, a really environmentally friendly, fantastic. Sounds like a great. I mean, no surprise. Sounds like a great house. So you know, you do need to check them because sometimes they, the bullshit ones, the ones that sound like bullshit, do turn out to be true. But you know, that's certainly one, um, uh, one way of of testing a claim straight away. Just chuck it in Google. It's it's not that difficult. So the ten percent brain one. Look. It sounds implausible. Um, you Google it, it turns out to be implausible. The reason why it, it sounds to be implausible to me is if you have any understanding of evolution, you just go, there's absolutely no way that evolution would allow a creature to survive that only uses 10% of its brain. Well, when you, when you consider how much energy it uses, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so we, you, know, you know about this stuff, which is natural selection essentially acts to optimise um, organisms for their environment. And one of the biggest problems for any organism is energy. And how much of our brain do we use for energy? I don't know. About 10 okay. or 20%. It's like a fair yeah, bit. Yeah, it's... Well, yeah, we, we lose most of our heat through our heads, yeah. so... So I think it might even yeah. be up to about 20%. I hope I'm not spreading another factoid. Yeah, we're factoid. probably spreading it. I was just thinking that. <laughs> another, another factoid for you. <laughs> so Google someone it. Google, Google it, would yeah. you? <laughs> um, but anyway, it certainly uses energy. So if, if you're wasting 90% of it, then obviously... Now, of course, he wouldn't say we're wasting it because obviously we're using it for telekinesis. Yeah. <laughs> clearly, clearly that's what's going on. Anyone with telekinetic abilities, raise my hand now. No, nope, didn't raise it, so sorry about that. Anyone with the ability to control my mind, raise my hand now. Didn't work either. Yeah, but would you know if they were controlling? <laughs> oh it, but... shit! It happened. <laughs> Did you do that, Ben? <laughs> Power of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's one way of looking at it. Um, look, the other one um, I wanted to look at is another one that is certainly to me is a little bit more plausible. So let's have a listen to this next um clip. Here is an optical illusion brain test. Are you a right brain thinker or are you a left brain thinker? To check it out, 
which way is this woman twirling? Now, if she's turning clockwise, well then, you're a right brain thinker. But if she's turning counterclockwise, then you're a left brain thinker. Right brain thinkers are random, intuitive, holistic, synthesizing, subjective, and they look at the whole picture. On the other hand, left brain thinkers are logical, sequential, rational, analytical, objective, and they look at the parts of things. And then there are some people who can see her twirl in either direction. But the big question is, what kind of thinker are you? The big question, Ben. Big question. What kind of thinker are you? And my way of classifying would be right brain thinkers are dumb and left brain thinkers are smart. But that's just me, what I think, because I'm obviously a left brain thinker. Oh, hang on. I could get her to twirl. Both ways. No, I can only get her to twirl one way. She would only twirl clockwise for me. So I'm a right brain thinker. So that means I'm intuitive. I'm not rational. Don't break things. Hmm, someone who's written a critical thinking book and a book on fallacies. Hmm, might be an exception, apparently. <laughs> I will put a link to that clip on the uh, in the show notes as well, yeah. the video, the, the YouTube clip that comes from. Now, look, in all seriousness, the right brain, left brain thing, there is right brain, left brain lateralizations. There is actual specialized functions in the left and right hemispheres of the brain. The issue comes... And, and, but then, of course, there is stuff like brain plasticity where... Um, you know, you can adapt different parts of your brain to do, uh, you know, functions that were originally in another p- part of the brain from brain damage and things like that. But, look, obviously I'm not a neuroscientist. I don't have a background in neuroscience, and so all I know is stuff from, you know, reading popular science and things like that and some books on it. But what I would say is certainly the research now... I mean, basically, I suppose, again, so if we think about the, the, the three ways of looking at it, let me Google it for you, plausibility and empirical evidence, let me Google it, well, that doesn't actually give you the answer like that. You, you can't get an answer on this one like that, and you can see a lot of these things. So the next thing, is it plausible? Well, it could be plausible, couldn't it? Because I'm, yeah. I'm, we're, well, we're both left-handed, aren't we? So that's yep. kind of freakish. To, yeah, so, to... I mean, basically, <laughs> yeah. there is lateralized brain function. Yeah. That's true. So the extrapolation to say there's right and left brain, well, that's yeah. plausible. To yeah, there, there seems to be some plausible explanation. Yeah, so yeah. what's the next level? Then? The next yeah. level is then what's the evidence say and the empirical evidence say. And so more recently, people have started doing MRI, uh, functional MRI scans of people doing lateralized tasks and found that actually your whole brain lights up, surprise, surprise. So look, again, I'll provide some evidence, some links to those things, but certainly the um, the the idea that you're one type of thinker. I don't even have a problem with that, you know, because I certainly know where I am on that spectrum they gave. I'm certainly more to the logical, rational side than the... But, of course, it's one of those things where well, I, it's, I have everything is a part of what I do, but... It's it's kind of like astrology, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's like... They're telling you what you yeah, want to hear yeah. is a part of it. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, oh, it's, it's jumping to con- a conclusion based on some other property... Yeah, and and a gen, such a gen, yeah, general generalization, yeah, generalization yeah. as well. And sure, I'm happy to say I'm more of uh, the left brain thinker than the right brain. But the problem is again, it's the the um, the theory or the concepts behind why you're right and left brain because you use one side of your brain more than the other. And it's like, well, no, you don't. You use your whole bloody brain. Um, and but there are different aspects of your brain that do different jobs. But it, 
it's one of the, it's the classic. It's a bit more complicated than that. Yeah. You know, people try and oversimplify things and, and make it black and white, or in this case, left and right. Um, but yeah, look, I'll, I'll put some some uh, uh, links again in the show notes. There are um, um, a study that's come out using um, brain imaging techniques, um, and then I think there's been a, um, a more recent um, one. I think uh, Nielsen and colleagues I've got in my show notes here from 2013. They failed to find any evidence that people show a strong pattern of activation of networks in the right or left hemispheres, um, indicating there's no natural bias in brain activation that could be an indication of natural preference. So again, I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, from what I can tell, basically, it is the brain is way more complicated than that, and it's such an easy um, thing to do. And the initial research was interesting that's done that that found that you know there's two hemispheres, but then people get run away with it and they get gung ho with um, what they think it means. So another runaway factoid. Okay, so um, the next audio clip I want to look at uh, again um, is one that's really taken off in education and. It's also one of the other examples I used at the end of the book there, um, and it's to look at different learning styles. So I'll, it, one of the ways I also like to think about um, approaching things skeptically or uh, in using critical thinking is ask these two questions. What are you saying? And how do you know what you're saying is true? So there's two kind of, so it's about just meaning and justification, because if you're going to discuss something with people, you need to have a clear idea about what they mean, and they should have a clear idea about what their claim is, because often the claims are quite woolly, and then, okay, well, how do you know that's true? So this is a good way to approach um, uh, learning styles. So what are learning style theories? The idea is that the way that information is organized, or the way that you think about it, matters in how easily you understand or learn it. Suppose you're building a new house, and you're trying to give your friend a sense of what it will be like. The visual learner will understand best by seeing the plans, the auditory learner by listening to a description of the house, and kinesthetic learners need to move so your kinesthetic friend might build a model. The theory says that anyone can learn in any of the three ways, so the mostly visual person can still learn auditorily or kinesthetically, and likewise for the mostly kinesthetic. So again, with that clip, if we go through the logic, let me Google it for you. You know, if you Google it... Um it's not obvious that, you know, if anything, you'd think learning styles is well established because that's most of the information you'll find is, you know, starts from the premise that it's true. Um, is it plausible? Absolutely, it's plausible. Um, it kind of makes sense in a way. Um, you know, if you say, I prefer to learn this way, then would it make sense to do that? So then you've got to go back to uh, the empirical evidence. What does the um, evidence say? The good thing about that clip, I think, Ben, too, in particular, is the example he gives because, I don't know about you, but if someone was trying to, if I, if I wanted to tell you what my house is like, what would be the best way for you to understand what my house is like, besides visiting it, obviously? Um, I think, I think I'd want to see a picture, Theo. I think that would be the, the, the clearest way for you to demonstrate what your house is like. Yeah, well, so if I described it to yeah. you, would that be much use? So if I said, okay, it's, you know, three bedroom, so when you, you drive up a driveway, it kind of turns um, at, the, at the end of a cul-de-sac, there's a garage door that's automatic, yeah. so you open that, it's got a space for two garages, uh, then you walk underneath another cover area. We've got a sliding door to the left. There's a big kind of um, you know dining area there. There's a front lounge room at the front of the house. There's three bedrooms down the back, a bathroom, an ensuite. Do you have any f-ing clue what my house no, looks no, like? It could be any house. <laughs> of course, there's, a, there's, a, there's a man yeah. with hair and a tree there. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. 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 So, so that's my problem. Yeah. So his example he gives. Oh, in order to learn, no, no one would have. A f-ing 
fucking clue what your house looks like if you describe it to them. I'm sorry. No. So a picture would be the next thing. That would yeah. be quite good. But I actually think if I could build you an exact model, model replica... Model, that would be the best one. Yeah. yeah. And it's like got nothing to do with your kinesthetic or not. It's literally a model of what my house looks like. You can see it and you can also take the roof Keep off and look wherever yeah, okay. you know, it's So that's a great example, I think, of the problem with learning styles, which is people might say they have a state of profession, but actually probably what it is is some material is better presented in different ways. Well, yeah, it, I suppose it depends on what your actual activity you're trying to what learn. You're learning. Like, like um, trying to learn to play an instrument, for example. It's like, can you imagine trying to learn to play a guitar by someone purely just telling you how to do it? Yeah, of course not. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. You actually well, okay. To- so, the, so again, let's go back to playing yeah. playing guitar. I think it's a great example. Um, you can listen to a guitar riff, and okay. if you already know how to play a bit of guitar, you can try and work out what they're doing. Okay turn off the audio, now watch the guitarist play it. That'd be almost impossible to work out. Even if you knew if you knew the song, you could probably work it out. But if you didn't know the song, no chance. And of course, you physically need to hold the guitar to do it. Mm. So you actually need... The bare minimum you need for learning to play a song on guitar is you need the audio and you actually need the guitar, so the kinesthetic. And you could get away with not watching it. But of course, then if you've got guitar tablature or watching the video, then that makes... So it's like, you need all three. Yeah. And in this particular well, case... they make things easier, don't they? That's yeah. right. The number one thing you need is probably the audio to hear it. You know, And of course, if you can read music and you're already proficient, you can learn a song just by reading it because you know how to play and you know how to read music and play. And you... So it's just such a false way of, of looking at things, really. But again, I understand why people believe it. And trust me... Most educators still actually think it's true, which is you know a, a bit of a problem if they're actually investing a lot of time uh, on it. So the um, the way to approach this and the way this has been now studied is again, if you think about learning styles, is it plausible or not? So what does the research need to do? So what you actually need to do is to again run an controlled experiment. You need to understand what they're actually saying. So what is the actual claim that that learning styles are make, making? So the actual claim they're making basically is this. If people state they have a preferred style of learning, so visual, auditory, kinesthetic, or they even get assessed to say, what do you like better? The claim, if we boil it down, should be that if you learn in your preferred learning style, you will learn better, i.e. you'll do better when you're assessed than if you learn not in your preferred learning style. So that's a really explicit claim and actually quite an easy one to test. So... And then, so how would you test it? Again, going back to what we've talked about in the first episode, you'd run randomized controlled trials. So you'd have a sign, you know, get 100 people or whatever, split them into two groups. Group A learns in their preferred learning style. Group B learns the same content, not in their preferred learning style. Or you just make random it. But you'd probably actually say not in their preferred learning style, so you make sure it's in a different style. Then you get them to learn the content then they all do the same assessment and then you look to see, okay, did the group that's with their preferred learning style perform statistically significantly better on average than the other group? And that's how you do it. So researchers did look and see if that had been done. And what they found, of course, is that most studies of learning styles were like case studies or um, observational studies, so i.e. they were terrible quality. And again, go back to our first episode talking about observer bias. Yeah, low explanatory power. Yep, exactly. But then when they started to tighten up the controls and actually start doing randomized control tiles, what, guess what they found? The differences disappeared. Differences disappeared. There's no, no, so whatever people stated learning style was, it didn't actually make a difference. So, and this is a good example of skepticism in practice if we go back to the first episode when we talked about homeopathy. Again, when the studies are not very high quality, you find the effect you're looking for. When you start to tighten up the controls, 
if the effect is real, it'll stay. If it's not real, it'll start to disappear. And that's what these researchers found. So and the other thing that comes up with educational intervention or any intervention is not just is it going to be have an effect, but then is the time and effort worth the effect? So let's say even if learning styles had a little bit of an effect, like a you know, 2% effect or whatever, but if teachers have to spend an extra 20% of their time differentiating and diagnosing learning styles for students, then is that actually worth that 2% extra efficacy? You know, So it's not even as simple as just, oh, does it work or not? It's Is the investment in Yeah, well, when you have limited it? resources, where yeah. should you choose to direct them? Yeah, and in Is teaching, that an effective way to use it? Exactly, yeah. And in teaching one of those resources, it's the teacher's time. Um, and then also, you know, stress and work intensification, all those kinds of things as well. So my worry when these kind of factoids get spread is that teachers do spend time investing in this and it's actually not achieving anything. And if anything, it might be detrimental because they're spending too much time doing this and then they're too exhausted to work on other things as well. So that can be a real issue um, uh, in education and health or any of those things if you're doing something that's not demonstrated to be effective. The issue with neuroscience in education is that it obviously learning does occur in the brain so of course we're looking at what neuroscience is saying about how people learn and want to apply that to the classroom but people love to jump in early to things and they jump in too early before it's really properly established about what's effective and what isn't effective and how to do it specifically as well look in this case again if we go through the logic you've got three levels you go for you've got google it is it plausible what does the evidence say learning styles you google it not clear it's definitely plausible, but then the evidence when you delve into it says it's probably not uh, a, a real effect. So therefore, you probably don't need to worry about the learning style. What you need to worry about is is the way you're delivering the content itself just an effective way to deliver it, like you know our, our conversation about the house. What I want to do now is um, play a little clip we're going to um, analyse in the next non-classic episode. Uh, now, this one is an interview with... Uh, the founder of another bit of um, brain pseudoscience uh, called Brain Gym. Brain Gym is an educational uh, activity sh- that students have been encouraged to do in, in certain classes where they do things like rub their heads in specific ways to activate bit- particular bits of their brain. Yeah, if we can talk to the uh, brains behind uh, Brain Gym, Paul Dennison, who's in. Say in your in your teacher's manual here, when you talk about hookups, that they connect the electrical circuits in the body. What exactly are these electrical circuits, please? Well, I, it's my opinion that uh, we are electrical, that we do have circuits and connections. And uh, when we bring our energy to the midline, to the uh, central point, uh, we are breaking out of the uh, reflex to, to go from one side to the other and bring things back to the center where we can be calm and relaxed. It is your... Jesus. <laughs> you, you say it is your you opinion that we are electrical, Mr. Dennison. Uh, are yes. you medically qualified? Oh, no, I'm not medically qualified. I'm an educator. Clear. But okay. I s- study and read and... Uh, the, uh, there are studies to show that we do have electrical acupuncture and other procedures are based on the fact that there are electrical circuits in the body and we are building on the shoulders of these people who have been doing this for thousands of years. Is the fact that you're not medically qualified 
explanation mm. enough for statements in this teacher's manual of the kind that processed foods do not contain water, which you know is arrant <laughs> nonsense. Okay. We're interested in helping children and these things work and we explain them the best. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> anyway, look, there are a significant number of fallacies actually in those in, in what he's saying there, so there's not just one. Um, there will be one particular fallacy that I want to focus on, and, but obviously I'll mention some of the other ones that I can see there too, and Ben, I'm sure he, uh, you did your best there to not have your head explode from uh, laughter and bemusement as we're listening to that clip. Ah. Uh. How many ways was he wrong, Theo? Yeah, well, that's what we'll count in the next... <laughs> Maybe what we need to do is have a little counter that goes yeah. bing every time he's wrong and the next thing is just uh, embarrassment. All right, well, that um, closes this episode. So um, thanks for coming along yep, again, Ben. Yeah, I will see you next time. Yep, excellent. Okay, this has been Hunting Humbug 101 and don't forget um, to subscribe to the podcast uh, on iTunes or any other um, podcast player such as uh, my favourite podcatcher on... Um, on Android is Pocket Cast, so subscribe there, uh, or iTunes. And of course, really important, go buy a book here, copy of Humbug. And, and given I assume you probably bought a copy uh, in last week's episode, say you bought it on the Kindle, well, you know, go buy it in Playbooks. Well, you could have two copies, there's no problem with having two copies. And maybe buy one for someone else, you know, you could gift it to them. Make it a gift, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And look, in all seriousness, um, whilst I do appreciate money, if you buy it from Lulu, uh, it's DRM free there as well as an ebook, so I won't cry if you lend it to people. However, be aware there is a um, a uh, there is such thing as karma, and when you come back in the next life, you're going to be some kind of slug if you do that. Uh, <laughs> also, bear in mind there are a, a Creative Commons uh, versions of the draft of the book on my website, and the first edition as an ebook. It's is completely free, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's free, completely free of draft editions, like as web as posts, so you can um, you know use it. Under that, but if you want to buy the proper, nicely formatted, completed uh, ebook second edition, it's available on Kindle, uh, Google Play, and Lulu. And hopefully, by this goes out, it'll be on iBooks and some other um, ebook stores as well. Okay, we'll see you at the next podcast. <laughs>